God is raising up a Gideon generation, a generation that will bring reformation and transformation. We will be men and women who will make our mark, leave our stamp and be history makers. We glean lessons from the life of Gideon on what it takes to be God's men and women of valor and some pitfalls to avoid. Be blessed. All right, let's say this together. This is God's word. This is God speaking to me. I am what God says I am. I can do what God says I can do. I will become everything God has promised. I'm saved, healed, delivered, redeemed. I am blessed, victorious, prosperous, triumphant. I'm a minister of God, a servant of Christ, and a channel of His blessing to many people. I receive His word. I believe His word. And I live by His word. Christ is my master. And to Him, I am in absolute surrender. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. May be seated, please. How many of you are excited to be a Christian? If you're excited to be a believer, say amen. I hope being a Christian, being a child of God is not dull and boring. Amen? It's a great time to be alive. It's a great time to live. It's exciting. Amen? It's an exciting time to live. And life should not be dull, boring, mundane, the same old thing. Every Sunday go to church, listen to the same preacher. I hope your Christian life isn't like that. Amen? They hope there's some fire in your belly. Amen? I put it more scriptural. Fire in your bones. <laughs> and excited that you are a believer. You love the Lord. And uh, you're here for such a time as this. And, and uh, truly, you know, as, as God's people, we have a reason to be excited of being believers and walking with God because God has a purpose for our lives that should excite us, that should grip our hearts. Every morning you wake up, you wake up energized because you're pursuing something that God has for you. You're excited about today, you're excited about tomorrow. You can't wait for tomorrow to come because, hey, God's got something up there. Amen? And that's the way we're supposed to be. And it was there from the very beginning, from the time God created Adam. He said, Adam, I'm making you in my image for, for a reason, for us to represent him on earth. And he gave Adam the commission to subdue and have dominion and, and fill the earth with more of God's of people in God's own image and, and uh, carry out the purposes of God. So that was part of God's plan for us from the very beginning. That we co-labor with Him, we work with Him. And that makes life exciting. Amen? This morning, I want to talk about being God's men and women of valor. God's men of valor. God's women 
of valor, of courage. I want to draw some lessons from the life of Gideon as we have it narrated for us in the uh, book of Judges, Judges chapter 6, 7, and 8. So if you have your Bibles and you want to follow along, you could please turn to Judges. We start from chapter 6. And uh, we see how we will learn from Gideon's life what it took to be God's man of valor in his day, in his time. So we could draw those lessons for ourselves and say, look, we may be living in a different day, in a different time. The challenges around us obviously are very different. But God intends for you and me to be his man of valor, his woman of valor, and see something happen. That you and I can make our mark on history, can leave our stamp, be history makers, be reformers, be agents of God's transformation in circumstances and situations around us. How do we do it? I want to learn some lessons from the life of Gideon. So the book of Judges was written uh, in that what, what captures for us the history of Israel between the time of the end of Joshua all the way up to the beginning of prophet Samuel. So that's the history that's narrated for us in the book of Judges. It spans approximately 350 years. With about 12 judges, and if you don't mind including a woman in the list, it's about 13. Include Deborah in there, a prophetess and a judge. So, about 13 of these people who were judges in Israel over this time period of 350 years from the end of Joshua. You know, Moses and Joshua brought the people in, out of Egypt, into the land of Canaan, the land of promise. And then there were judges who headed Israel. They were both political in nature, meaning they brought in administration, they, uh, they helped fight against enemies and so on. And they're also judicial in nature. They helped uh, solve disputes and bring solutions to problems and so on. So they, they kind of had this dual function, but they were not called kings yet. They were just called judges. And uh, about five or six of them we just have little records saying so-and-so was a judge for about so many years and he died. So we don't have much of what he did or what they did in that time. But for about five or six of them, the remaining, we actually have detailed narratives of what they did, how they governed, how they led Israel, and how they worked with God to serve the people in the land of Israel. And it's very interesting to read their stories and learn from their life lessons. Samson, as you know, Samson, as you know, would be one of them. He was the last one, the 13th one. And uh, he, you know his story, he takes a lot of chapters uh, in the book of Judges. And among them was Gideon. He covers three chapters, chapter 6, 7, and 8. We see a record of his life and so on. Now Gideon was born at a time... Or was judge Israel at a time when Israel did their normal thing, which was to walk away from God. Just so normal. So tell me something new, you know. <laughs> Read the headlines. Israel walks away from God. Man, this has been news for so long. It's been the same thing. And so here was a nation brought 
out of Egypt so supernaturally by God. They had seen all the wonderful miracles. They had seen all the great things. But now they were in a time when they had walked away from God. They had built altars to Baal. And another built images to another god, Ashtaroth. And they were worshipping these foreign gods. Forgotten their own god. And so God said, fine, this is what you're doing. I'm withdrawing my hand of providence and protection over your life and over your lives. And so the neighboring tribes, the Midianites and the Amalekites, neighboring tribes began to come and oppress Israel and actually uh, gain control of so many things in the land of Israel. Whenever it was harvest time, the first people knocking on the door was an Amalekite. There for the harvest. I wanted the people worked hard, but they enjoyed the harvest. And so the Bible says in Judges chapter 6, verse 3, it says, Whenever Israel had sown, the Midianites would come. Verse 4, there, these people destroyed the earth and the produce of the land. And verse 6, it says, Judges 6 and verse 6, so Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites. So here was this neighboring tribe that really, really oppressed the people. And the land was under great oppression. And you know, there are conditions in our time, whether it's in the church or whether it's in the world, that are not right. You look inside the church and you might find some part of the church so steeped in tradition, in dead religion, in rituals, it's a church, but God's not present. Or you find a, some other part of the church that is so like the world, you can't tell the difference. A church that is in compromise. They want to fit in the world. Unfortunately, it's not easy to make light fit into darkness because wherever light comes, darkness has to leave. And so you have a major part of the church trying to compromise and, and adapt things to the world and just put a cross over it saying this is Christian. And so you see things like that inside the church. And then you look out in the world and you say conditions in the world are so bad. There are people in our own city, young men and women bound in drugs and alcohol and just wasting their life. You've got young women in sex trade selling their bodies for some money. You've got kids on the streets being used by hidden oppressors to make money just because they're unwilling to work and all kinds of things going on. You've got governments and politicians who are seeking to loot from the money given by hard-earned money, given by people who faithfully pay their taxes and they loot that money to gain their own wealth and accumulate themselves and it, you look around in our own nation, in our own city and you know the conditions are not right. This ought not to be. So it was in the land of Israel. And the Bible says that in Judges chapter 6, verse number 7, that the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. The children of Israel cried out to the Lord. 
Our God is not a God who is deaf that his ears cannot hear. Neither is his hand too short that he cannot help. But he's waiting for somebody to cry out to him. He's waiting to hear the cries of his people. The question is, is there a cry going out from the church? Or is the church too callous, too dead, too indifferent, too uncaring, couldn't care less to what's inside and what's outside? What's the condition of your heart? Are you crying out? The Bible says the children of Israel cried out to God. In the midst of their oppression, in the midst of all of that, they said, God, this ought not to be. This is not right. We are being oppressed. God, this is not right. It's not right for our young people in our city to be bound and wasted with their lives like this. God, it is not right for a government to rob its people. God, it is not right for, for young women to sell their bodies in sex trade. It's not right, oh God. There has to be a cry. There has to be a cry. I'm wondering, is there a cry going out from your heart? Whenever God hears a cry, He responds. So it was in a moment like this in a land that was so impoverished and yet there was a people crying out that God sends an angel to a man named Gideon. And the Bible captures that moment so vividly. The Bible says Gideon at that very moment was threshing wheat in a wine press. Now, it was not the time of gathering of wine. This is in verse 11 of chapter 6. And yet Gideon was there threshing wheat in a wine press. And you can try to imagine what his motivation, what his reasoning was. He must have been thinking, hey, if I go and get this harvest and thresh it on the threshing floor, as we ought normally to do, the Midianites are going to notice and they're going to come after me. I'm going to be robbed of the very little I have. And so let me do something that will trick the Midianites. Let me thresh this harvest, this wheat in the wine press. And so let me at least be able to survive, get some harvest for myself and my family and, and survive and make it through. Threshing wheat in the wine press. Nothing much to hope for. Just being a survivor from day to day. And to such a man, God sends an angel. And so here comes this angel and says, Hey Gideon, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. The Lord is with you, you mighty man, you God's man of valor. Gideon saying, man, I think you got the wrong address. Must be that rowdy next door. You know. He seems bold. I'm here just trying to survive. I mean, don't you see I'm threshing wheat in a wine press. God sees your true potential. So often we put limitations on our own lives. We limit ourselves. We put ceilings on ourselves, we draw lines of boxes of constraints around us and saying, you know, this is all I can do. This is all I'm capable of. This is as far as I can dream. This is as much as I can hope. But I want you to know that the God of heaven believes in you even more than you believe in yourself. When you see yourself as a survivor, God sees you as his man, as his woman of valor. 
I see in you a mighty warrior. I see in you somebody who can do something about the situation that's prevailing in the land. God sees you. You say, well, I'm just a housewife. I can barely make my samba right. <laughs> I mean, what could I do for the kingdom of God? Of what great, what great thing can I accomplish on the earth? How could I represent God here in my kitchen and through my cooking and what I'm doing day in and day out? Listen, you only see the small thing. You only see that little wheat that you're threshing in your wine press. But God Almighty sees your potential. He made you. He formed you. He knows what you're designed for. And he knows what you're capable of. And he knows what he can do through you. You are a mighty woman of valor. In the eyes of God. And so the angel calls him says, Gideon, you are God's man of valor. Gideon probably lets that soak in for a moment and then he says, okay, here's my task. Let me ask him all the questions I ever wanted to ask. Say, angel, hold on. I got some questions for you. First question. These are questions you and I would probably ask and we should be asking. He says, if you're saying God is with us and God is among us, verse 13, why then is all this going on? Why is all this happening? Why is the church dead? Where is the glory in the church? It's nice to read about Jesus. It's nice to read about the book of Acts. But the church of today doesn't come anywhere close to what I read in the Bible. Why? Why is all this happening? If God is among us, why is our nation like this? Why are people like this? Why is my city like this? How could any person in their right mind use little kids on the streets to earn them a living? How could any person in his right mind bring, capture young girls from villages and bring them into the city just to indulge or engage in a trade like this? How could anybody in their right mind do something like this? How could leaders who are duly elected by people stand in government offices and rape the nation in front of everybody and don't feel a thing about it? How could this be? Why is this happening? Why? And he said, Angel, I've got one more question. Where are the miracles of God? Where is the demonstrational power of God? Where are the miracles? I know of a God who brought my people out of Egypt. He parted the Red Sea. He did great miracles in the land of Egypt. He parted the Red Sea. He led them with a cloud and a, and a pillar of fire. He fed them with manna from heaven. He brought water of a rock. He turned bitter waters and made them sweet. Angel, where is this God? Where's he gone? Why is this happening? Where is God? Basic questions. The angel just responds by saying, Gideon, God is saying, I'm sending you. You're asking the questions, but I'm sending you to be the answer to these questions. I'm sending you. 
Amen. Could you and I be an answer to somebody's cry? Could you and I be an answer to these very questions that we're asking? And God intends for you and me to be an answer. I am sending you. To be an answer to these very questions. Why are these things happening? Where is our God who is so powerful? God saying, I'm sending you. And that shakes Gideon up a little bit. He says, okay, listen, I didn't mean to get so involved. I just want to ask a couple of questions. But don't put my name down. Now, since you brought up, I have one more question for you, angel. How could God send me as an answer? How? Because if you don't know it, I want to let you know that I'm the youngest in my father's house. And my father's house is the least in all our clan, our tribe. I mean, we are nobodies, angel. So if you think you've got me in on the program, no way. No. How could God pick a nobody like me? How could God pick a housewife? To be an answer to some of these great questions of why and where. How could God pick a young man or a young woman to be an answer to some of these great questions of why and where? But the angel simply responds saying, Gideon, does it matter? How, no, how least you are and how least is your father's house? But the only response God gives us in verse 16, I am with you. So two simple statements in Gideon's commissioning. I am sending you and I am with you. Say this with me. God is sending me. And God is with me. Let's say it again. God is sending me. God is with me. To all the questions of why and where, God is raising up you to be an answer. You be an answer. And your commissioning is simply this. God is saying, I am sending you to address that situation. I am sending you to address that problem. I am sending you to address this, 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 this difficulty that's prevailing over this land. I am sending you, and hey, I'm with you. I'm with you. So now begins Gideon's process of going from this survivor to becoming this man of valor that God has called him to be. The first thing we see Gideon do in response to his commission as he, as he begins to slowly let this call sink in that God has actually called him to be a man of valor. The first thing he responds is by bringing a sacrifice. He prepares a meal. He kills an animal. He, he prepares it and he brings it and the angel just put it on the rock. And he places this sacrifice on the rock. And God, showing a sign of his divine acceptance, causes fire to come out of the rock and consume the sacrifice. Every time God accepts a sacrifice, he does it by fire. 
So Gideon realizes, my sacrifice has been accepted by God. And it is in that moment that he realizes the, the magnitude of everything that is happening. And, and his heart is open. His eyes are open. And at that moment, God reveals himself to Gideon. Saying, hey Gideon, I am Jehovah Shalom. I am the Lord who is peace. The first time in the Bible that God reveals himself by this covenant name. I am Jehovah Shalom, the God who is peace. I want you to remind, remind us of another man called Abraham. When God spoke to him in Genesis 22 saying, Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son Isaac, and offer him as a sacrifice. And Abraham said, okay, God. And here he was at the altar on the top of Mount Moriah. He'd laid his own son, his only son Isaac, on the altar. And as he raised up the dagger to offer Isaac as a sacrifice, God said, wait. And at, at that moment... God revealed himself to Abraham as Jehovah Jireh. The first time. I am Jehovah Jireh. The point is this. At the altar of your greatest sacrifice will also be your greatest encounter and your greatest revelation of who God is. Both these men, as they offered up their sacrifice as an act of worship unto God, they also received a revelation of who God is. Gideon said, my God is Jehovah Shalom. He is more than able to bring peace in this land. He's able to do it. He is Jehovah Shalom. Our journey with God always involves sacrifice. There is no journey into destiny without sacrifice. It is at these moments of sacrifice. It is at the place of sacrifice where you offer your very best to worship God. That you are going to receive a revelation of God. And yet this is so important. Because it is the people who know their gods. Who will be strong. And do exploits. Why are we so weak and feeble? Perhaps it's because we've not had a revelation of our gods. We don't really know who our God is. Because if we were a people who knew our God, the Bible says we will be strong and we will do exploits. But why is there no revelation of God? Maybe we're unwilling to make our sacrifice. Maybe we think it's too expensive to do that. And was for Gideon because in a time when he was impoverished, in a time when the land was impoverished, it was difficult to bring such a sacrifice for God. And yet he did it. And when he was willing to offer that sacrifice of worship is when God gave him a revelation of himself. And the people who know their God will be strong and do exploits. So Gideon begins his journey into his destiny. As he begins to worship God through sacrifice, I want to encourage you and me, whatever it takes to worship God, whatever it takes to offer 
our sacrifice unto God. Let's do it because it is in that place of sacrifice. It is on your altar of sacrifice that you will receive your revelation of your God. And when you know who God is, you're going to be strong. Amen. So having done that, one of those nights Gideon goes to sleep and God speaks to him in a dream. And God says, hey Gideon, you're doing well, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and destroy the altar of Baal that's in your town. And I want you to tear down that wooden image of Astral. I want you to tear it down. I'm not sure what Gideon's reaction was in the morning. This man, was it my dream? Was it real? But I'm sure when God speaks to you and me, we can recognize it. That it is God calling us to a place of obedience. And this was not an easy thing to do. How could Gideon go and destroy an altar that people in the town are worshiping? It's not an easy thing. His life probably was at risk. And yet, in as much as this demanded of him, Gideon obeyed God. He walks up, he gets 10 men with him, he goes at night, gets around that altar, he tears it down, he, he chops down that wooden image, does what God had asked him to do, offers up the bull as a sacrifice unto God as an act of obedience. And God defends Gideon. Because in the morning, the people of the town find out that their favorite altar has been torn they find out that Gideon's done it. They arrive at Gideon's house and talk to Gideon's father and say, Hey, your son's done it. He deserves death. Suddenly a word of wisdom comes into his dad. His dad says, Hey, let Baal handle his own case. If Baal is God, he knows how to handle it. Just leave Gideon alone. So that makes sense. So leave Gideon alone. God defends Gideon. But here's the point. Sacrifice is good. Our worship is good. It's a place of revelation. But all revelation is given to empower us into a place of obedience. And in the eyes of God, obedience is always better than sacrifice. You and I worship God. We do offer our sacrifice of worship. We do offer our sacrifice of Money, we do offer our sacrifice of various things unto God because we want to worship God. And God honors that. And He reveals more of Him, Himself to us. And that revelation of God is always intended to empower us so that we can then go out and obey God in whatever He calls us to do. So don't stop with sacrifice. Follow through into obedience of God. And what He calls you to do in your life, what is He calling you to do? It may be something different from, from your neighbor. It may be something different from somebody else. But God always requires obedience as he prepares you and me to become his man or woman of valor. As he prepares you and me to become reformers. As he prepares you and me to become his transformation agent in a world that desperately needs a touch of God. And he's looking, counting on you. He's counting on me saying, hey, can you obey me? Because if you can obey me, then I know I can release you to affect this world. I can count on you. So Gideon goes through his test of obedience before God. 
God honors that. And the next thing you see now, that sacrifice and obedience then is followed by anointing. Over in chapter 6 and verse 34 and 35, the Bible says, But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. Then he blew the trumpet, and the Abyssalites gathered behind him. And he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, and, and they all gathered behind him. And people from Asher and Zebulun and Naphtali, they all came around him. The key there is this. The Spirit of God came upon Gideon. And he blew his trumpet. And people began to assemble. Out of your personal walk with God. Out of your walk of sacrifice. And out of your walk of obedience. You walk into the anointing of God on your life. And when the anointing of God is on you. When the Holy Spirit is on you. Then you take up whatever trumpet God has given you. You take whatever method God's given you. And with the anointing of God flowing through it, people will respond to the call. It was not the brilliance of his trumpet, but it was the power of the anointing of God on his life that got the people to respond. Amen? It's not about our methods. It's not about our strategies. Thank God for methods. Thank God for strategies. All that is nice. But if the Spirit of God is not in it, nothing's going to happen. It's going to fall flat. But when the Holy Spirit is upon us, when the Spirit of God moves upon us, now we've gone through our own sacrifice with God. We've gone through our own life of obedience with God. And now God is entrusting us with the anointing of His Spirit. Then you take whatever method. Gideon blew his trumpet, you might send an email. Doesn't matter. But when the anointing of God is on you, people respond. Amen. You might pull up your PowerPoint and you do your, this is my new strategy, whatever. That's great. But remember, it's because of the Spirit of God that's upon you that people are responding. Not the brilliance of that presentation. And as much as, in our, in as important as those things may be, the people began to respond. They said, we're gathering together. The next thing we see about Gideon is this, and it's something that you and I must do. He says, God, you know, all this is nice. You've called me to sacrifice. I've done it. You've called me to obedience. I've done it. The Holy Spirit's on me and I blow the trumpet. People gather. All this is nice. But God, just one more thing. I want to be doubly sure that you are the one who's sending me on this assignment. I want to be sure that I'm not stepping out on presumption. I, I, you know, I, God, I read about Moses, I read about Abraham, I read about Joshua. They're all wonderful. They all walked with you. But I want to be sure for myself that you are sending me on this assignment. I'm not blindly copying them. I want to be sure. And so Gideon puts out his fleece, and that's what most of us know him for. He puts his fleece out. He says, first requirement, God, let the fleece be wet and the ground around it dry. And it was so. The next day, he said, okay, God, this is good, but let's do it in reverse. 
the fleece dry and the ground wet. And so it was. Gideon says, I now know that God himself is sending me on this mission. So that's an important lesson for you and me, that you and I do not walk presumptuously, but we walk by revelation. The fact that God has spoken into your heart, the, God, the fact that God has put this mission in you, the fact that God has given you this assignment, be sure about it, because when things come your way that may not be easy, you can always go back to that and say, hey, God did speak to me. I am on this mission because of God. Not simply because of Abraham or Moses or Joshua. They're good. But I'm on this mission because God spoke to me. That's why I'm doing this. Walk by revelation, not presumption. As you journey to becoming God's man or woman of valor in our day, in our generation. The next thing we see in chapter 7 is this. 32,000 young people show up on August 15th. I mean, that's great. Never before in the history of APC after a video announcement did so many young people show up for the youth service. So 32,000 men have gathered together with Gideon in response to his blowing the trumpet or his email, whatever. But God says, hey, Gideon, all this is good. But I also want to make sure that you learn one more thing as you become my man of valor. You must learn not to lean on the arm of the flesh. You must always lean on the arm of the Lord. So, Gideon, I want you to do something. Just tell all the people who are really afraid to go back. He thought maybe, you know, a handful will go back. Maybe 10, 20 will go back. So he said, okay, guys, you know, God is so good. And I so appreciate all of you coming out here this evening. All of you are afraid. Go home. He was counting a long time. 22,000 of them went home. And only 10,000 was left. And God said, okay, Gideon, that's good. But let's do one more test. Take them by the river. We'll do one more filtering of them. So he does that. And in the end, only 300 men are left with Gideon. And God's saying, Gideon, there's one lesson I want you to learn. As you journey to becoming my man or valor, as you journey to becoming the deliverer that I want you to be, the reformer, the transformation agent, the change maker, as you journey into your destiny, one thing you must always remember do not depend on the arm of flesh. Always depend on the arm of the Lord. Depend on me. Say, God, this is 300 people, and you're talking about an army, an enemy of 135,000 people. God says, don't worry, just put me in the equation. It'll all be well. Just put me in the equation, it'll all be well. So Gideon is now ready for battle. He's now ready to step into his destiny with 300 men. And over across in the valley. It's a huge army of 135,000 people. And God's saying, time for battle. Time for action. And Gideon, I want to give you one reassurance. Just you and your servant, your, your teammate. 
Just go down as close as you can to the enemy's soldiers. Just sit beside them, Gideon. Just sit beside them. So by night, Gideon and his teammate, they walk, they go down, they crawl in close, as close as they can get to the enemy. And they hear two of the soldiers talking. One soldier says, hey, I had a dream and I saw a loaf. Roll in to our camp and just ruin all of us. And the other guy says to him, that must be Gideon and his army. And Gideon hears the dream. It is God giving him divine reassurance. I am with you. I will lead you to victory. So the next day, Gideon rounds up his 300 men. And all they're carrying are pitchers, pots in one hand. A torch in the other. And a trumpet on their side. And they're going into battle against 135,000 soldiers. By all human reasoning, the outcome of this battle would be in the enemy's favor. Except that on the other side is Jehovah Shalom. The God who is going to give them peace. Who's going to throw off the enemy. Who's going to end this oppression. Who's going, going to bring an end to all of this that is happening. He has said, I am Jehovah Shalom. I'm with you. I'll do it. So there you know the story. They, they divide into three groups. And all Gideon says is, hey, when you hear my alarm, when you hear my signal, just break your ports and shout the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And that's all they do. 300 men scream. The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. The voice was probably very, very feeble as it went through the valley past the years of 135,000 people. But somehow they heard it differently. For them it sounded like a huge army coming against them. And in fear and panic they began to self-destruct. And God took care of the battle that day. Gideon and his people saw supernatural victory. You and I must understand that as you and I respond to the call of God and rise up to be his reformers, rise up to be his deliverers, rise up to be his change agents in a world, the odds may be surely against us. But when God is with us and when God is sending us, the outcome will always be in our favor. He will bring us into supernatural victory. I don't know what your assignment may be. God may raise you up in the marketplace. God may raise you up in politics. God may raise you up in education. God may raise you up in some form, in some way in society to address a need and a problem in the world. Or God may raise you up in the church to address a need in the church. But even if the odds are against you and, and, and you think this cannot be, listen, when God is with you, He's going to see you through. To accomplish whatever he's called you to accomplish. Amen. So as Gideon and his people, I'm moving into chapter 8. As Gideon and his armies return. Two things I want to point out and then we close. 
This is in chapter 8 and verse 22 and 23. The people came to Gideon. They said, hey, Gideon, you've got us a great victory. We're so blessed. We've got rid of these enemies who are oppressing us for seven years. Gideon, why don't you be king over us? And not only you, but also your children. I mean, this is, Gideon, we're giving you retirement benefits. And we're taking care of you and your children after you. You all be king over us. And Gideon says, I will not be king. My children will not be king. The Lord will be king. A lesson for you and me to learn. And we do not use our achievements to put our hands on entitlements in the kingdom. Say, no, I'm not entitled to this. People may want to offer it to us. But you and I say it always belongs to God. The glory always belongs to God. Just because God has used me or God has used you in some way to achieve something, to accomplish something, we're not entitled to honor and glory that belongs to God. Give it to Him. The Bible tells us in the remaining verses that the next 40 years, the land had great peace. There was great peace in the land. However, and we close with this. In the latter part of his life, something went wrong. And the Bible doesn't explain why. We can only suppose. The Bible says here that Gideon goes back to the people and says, Hey guys, you remember that battle that we went against the Midianites? And I know a lot of you went in and plundered their gold and all their precious stones. And, and you brought all that back with you. Would you mind if you just brought it and gave all of that to me? Because I want to make a golden ephod, a jeweled ephod for all of us. The ephod was what the high priest wore as he sought the counsel of God and did try to understand the mind of God for the people. It was the garment of the high priest. And here for some reason, which we do not know, Gideon decides to take all that gold and all that precious stones and do something God had not intended for him to do. He makes this jeweled ephod. And the people begin to worship that thing instead of worshiping the God who gave them the victory. Such a dangerous thing. The Bible says there in chapter 8 that this thing became a snare, a trap, an enslaving thing for the people of Israel. And this is only supposition here, it perhaps was because of, of the worship of Baal that they were so accustomed to, to having an object of worship. Maybe that's what prompted Gideon to do this. I don't know. But there is a lesson for you and me. Never idolize a victory that God gives you. 
Thank God for the victory. Thank God for the achievements. Thank God for the blessing. But that blessing will never become an object of worship. That victory will never become an idol in my life. We must never idolize any victory that God brings into our lives. Our eyes are always on Him. Amen. Doesn't matter how good the conference was and how many people came and all the wonderful things that it, the conference is over. Forget it, man. Keep your eyes on the Lord. Keep your eyes on the Lord. Never idolize that victory. It's not about the achievements. It's not about that. It's about the Lord who gave it to you. It's not about yourself, uh, how, how successful you've become or how great you've become or how much the world recognizes. It's not about that. It's about the Lord who gave that to you in the first place. Amen. A lesson to learn from Gideon's life. Two weeks ago, as we were in, in Dimapur and we were just praying about an evening service and said, God, you know the situation here in Northeast India. You know all these young people. What is the word you want to give to them? I just felt the Lord say, tell them, I want to raise up a Gideon generation. Tell them I want to raise up a Gideon generation. So we preached this message there. I just felt it was right to bring it to us as a congregation. That in a time like this, God is looking to raise up a Gideon generation. Men and women of valor. Men and women who can actually be reformers. Who can actually be revivalists. Who can actually be transformers in a world that's gone the wrong way. The question is, are you willing to be God's man or woman of valor in this day? Whenever there is a crisis here on earth, and there's a cry that goes forth, God is looking for his man, his woman of valor, that he can raise up and address a problem and be an answer to the why and the where. And God intends for each one of us here to be his man and woman of valor, of courage, to be an answer to somebody's cry. To be an answer to, to the why and the where. There's someone somewhere is asking, why has all this happened? Where is the living God? Maybe it's an answer to the people who are in poverty. Maybe it's an answer to people who are dying hungry. Maybe it's an answer to people who are jobless and they've lost all hope, therefore. Maybe it's an answer to social problems or economic problems or Spiritual problems. God is looking for his Gideon. I want to ask us, you and me, could we say, God, I'm willing to be a man of valor. I'm willing to be a woman of valor. As you respond to God to the cries of your people, the cries of those who are in need, the cries of those who are impoverished, the cries of those who are being oppressed in some way. I'm willing to be our answer, God. I'm willing to go because you're sending me. I'm willing to go because you are with me. I'm willing to walk a life of sacrifice, of a life of obedience. And God, I ask for the anointing of your spirit on my life. 
I will not lean on the arm of the flesh, but I will lean on the arm of the Lord. He'll do it. He'll do it. This morning, I just want to ask you, would you take some time, please? If there is a stirring in your heart, saying, God, I cannot remain silent. I cannot remain silent when I see what I see in the church. There's fire in my bones, oh God. There's a stirring in my soul. There's a holy unrest inside me. I need to do something about this. Something must happen. God, when there's a world around me that's in need, when there are young lives that are dying, when there are people ruining their lives, and when there are people being oppressed, when things are wrong around me, God, I cannot remain silent. I've got to do something. And this morning, if you feel a holy discontent, if you recognize an agitation inside you, then would you pray and say, God, I'm willing to be your man of valor. I'm willing to be your woman of valor. Gideon answered the call in his day. And so his name has been written in the hall of faith. I want to respond to you today, God, in my day, in my time. In a city, in a land such as this. I'm willing. I'm willing. Would you respond, please? Just between you and the Lord. You pray. We trust that this message was a blessing to you. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at contact at apcwo.org. Also, visit our website www.apcwo.org for additional resources. Thank you for listening and God bless you.